Father, thank you for honing our hearts and bringing us to this point. Thank you for getting us here. Not just us physically, but also us spiritually, soulishly, in every way, God. We pray now that you would open our hearts even further for the word of God, that it would change us in every way. Bring us closer to who you are and who we are supposed to be in your hands and in your way. Bless this word today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Welcome. Good to have you all here. You're in the middle of summer. And uh, how are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? Are you doing okay with those? <laughs> Wait, what? What? What are you talking about? We let those go a long time ago. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So this morning, I get a chance to share with you a little bit out of the box. Different for me. I'm not going to break an entire set of scriptures, but uh, passage of scripture, but, but break down some different parts of scripture for you. Two things that have been on my mind recently very much, and that has been just to see the unseen, and that I believe that we've been talking so much about the Holy Spirit recently, and this is a great, great series and a great season to tap into the Holy Spirit. Um, it's one of the most vast, and he is one of the most vast and creative creatures ever amazing, if I could even say it that way, and my words fail. But he is certainly, he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a lesser of the triune being. He's fully God and he's fully spirit. And just as Jesus is fully God and fully man, and God the Father is the Father. So all of them, powerful and amazing. And it's important to recognize that because he is sent to us as a comforter and a helper. And he lives right beside us. Whether you recognize it or not, he's there. Amen. He's not only beside you, but he's in you. And so to explore that a little bit today, one of the scriptures that really has been probably a life scripture, but one that has been refreshed to me recently, Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the evidence of things not seen, jeez. For those word people, that's the title deed, but it's the conviction is what says the persuasion that there's things that are not seen that really are. And by it, the elders obtained a good testimony report. So by going by things that were not seen, but the substance of hope, they saw God move in their lives and they transformed their lives. Not only their lives, but it says there, by faith, the worlds were framed, set in order. Isn't that amazing? That it's the shaman in the field of lentils who says, I'm so sick of being pushed around by the Philistines. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And he says, this far and no further, he brings an order, a righteous, godly order, that righteousness should prevail against anything that's not righteous. It happened to be the Philistines, Philistines at that time, creating a great route. So it's saying... By that faith, by that trust in what's not seen that I know is there, I'm putting my whole life in order and the life around me in order. John, that's amazing. I'm awake. I'm ready to go, baby. Here we go. I'm diving in because I'm trying to get done here to get moving this morning. That one and the other one is Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus, when he's tempted and he's being brought in the first temptation, he's fasted 40 days, 40 nights, he's very hungry and of course, the enemy comes to him and says, turn these stones into bread. He says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Wow, what a transformation. So I love that he at least says he doesn't live by bread alone. So he's saying he does live by bread some. Is that okay? 
Because I really appreciate that, not only about food, but just he's speaking to the practical. We live in the practical, we live in the material world, but we really don't live in there as much as we live by the word of God that directs our lives. The unseen kingdom of God directing the love of God, compelling, constraining us to live a different life above the fray, above the circumstances, above the practical. And God is in the practical. I love that he made day and night. I'm still fascinated that he made the world go around the sun and we're this little speck on the earth and how the vastness of God be at the, the smallness, but the importance of my personal life and my decisions. How stunning is God in that very thought and that he's involved in that. But we live a life that is, that is hidden, but hidden in our hearts and comes out of our lives. And the only, the only, the, the very transcendence of that is the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't hear anybody in this room. Okay, so the power of the Holy Spirit brings that invisible world into our living world. Isn't it? Doesn't it do that? And it's so wonderful. And I'm still trying to say two questions I ask. How can I learn to see the things that are there that I can't see? They're there, but I can't see them. And how do I live a life that's not by bread alone? And I know it, but I'm, every day I need coached in both these areas. Because those things exist that I don't see, and they're there. And this life, I can be caught up in the bread all the time, the practical, but I, I don't want to because it oppresses or holds me back. There's certain things I love, like the rhythms of day and night and stuff like that, and the doing of things. I'm a very habitual person, habit person. I like it. I really like it. I'm servant and heart, love to help. But in it, I don't want to be overwhelmed by those things. I'm going to live for all this for that. How am I doing? If I'm speaking to you, say, say it, John, okay? Come on, say it. Say it, John. <laughs> the best way, a couple experiences, and these are, I'm off the grid here. We were in Hawaii, a very difficult trip. I, I just don't know what to tell you about it. <laughs> it wasn't on my bucket list, but my son went out there, and we promised to go see him, and it was amazing. It's beautiful. I said, we just, they are having a hard time because they're cool weather people, and it's 75 to 85 every day. And I said, well, I could try it for a while. <laughs> the sun's shining, gorgeous places. So, but one day we're on, it was a Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon. We're on our way to this beach because Brian and, and his wife, Kate, are busy working because they work at their, out of their home in the computers. And so we said, hey, we'll steal away. And so we're driving on the road and it's earlier. It is six o'clock here, but it's 12 o'clock there, wasn't it? And I turn on the, you know, our, our program and the service comes on in the middle of our car, and we're just driving down through this coast, and it looks very 1970-ish with all the beach places around, and we're heading there, and then David hits the notes on this, uh, the, uh, the worship, and God crashes into our car like, I cannot even talk. It's like stunning, man, like immediately, and I'm not in a difficult situation at the very least. I'm in a wonderful situation, but somehow my heart is transferred into this eternal place, and all the things of God and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his power flood our car. I am a wreck. Pack actually says, do you, do you need to pull over? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. It's like, we are just wrecked. And David, you and Tiff had this service. Your set list just, uh, just in every good way destroyed me and destroyed the, anything that was even... It was just amazing. That was terrible. And brought everything forward that was wonderful. Has this ever happened to you, like in a worship service? Okay, good. Thanks. Um, just fascinating. And, 
And I thought, you know, the whole world will come for the presence of God. I can't think of anything that more defines this house. And for the first part of this teaching, I just want to let you know that that's important. You know, the presence of God, being in the presence of God, opens up the eternal to our lives that is normally temporal. And we get cast out in a beautiful place that is actually more real than the chair you're sitting on. And I just want to say this. Church, as much as it gets beat up and it can be difficult and do things, it is wonderful. Like, the family is the most powerful place on the earth, and the second place is the family of God. That's the most powerful place on earth. And to have a, a house that has an open heaven in it, this is so important because the breath of God moves freely. The decisions of our lives are made in an, in an instant when we're wrestling with something with with God, and we decide, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to believe for my family. I'm going to move here. I'm going to take this job. I'm trusting you. Well. And that's decided in the midst of his presence. I'm telling you, that is worth more precious than all jewels, than all the wealth of the world that we make these decisions and deciding with God and him enveloping us in a place like this, a community. Of course, we love the house and the lights and all that stuff, but it's the community of faith that maintains such a powerful place of God. And that your decisions, they are important. This is important. It is real. It's where we live our lives with one another and God together. And it's by his design, and it's altogether fitting and proper. Amen. Scripture says that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Was well, that the word and the laws of God? No, it's the expression, the, the wrestling of men with God in their lives and finding him and moving forward. And as you do it, someone else sees you do it or you share it with someone else. That's the community of God. And it is worth everything. How do I know that? Move away and see if you don't have it, how worthwhile it is. In our worst time of loss of everything, we had everything that was really important when we stepped into the family of God. All right, and that's just a plug for the church, which I'll ever be jealous over. So, but anyway, what is like this? The only thing I can present to you like this is in our life, what is like this? What is this caring? What is this lifting up? What is this presence of God that you've just been in for the last half hour, 40 minutes of worship? What is it and how does this happen? I said to myself in the car, how does this happen? How does this 6,000 miles away, I am wrecked by something that's happening that has been held up by faith and discipline and purpose and pursuit of God in a group that is several and that is a critical mass that brings the presence of God. I'm not ashamed. I'm not, it's all by God's grace. It's not like we're amazing, okay? But it is good that, we, that men do the things of God. Is that Okay. Years ago, probably 20 years ago, was it David? I don't know when it was. Well, even before that, 25 years ago, we had a whirlwind trip, and I've told you this before, through D.C. with Pat's father, who's a colonel, and his wife, and my mother-in-law. And They took us through a whole trip of all the monuments on a cold November morning. I remember going through it, and we landed at the very end at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Now, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier was just, it's just something you step into that has a solemnness and a presence that's so powerful. And you wonder, why does this happen? Well, you know, we were there for the changing of the garden. It was solemn and powerful. And, and they guard this tomb, but it's not like they're guarding it from someone taking over it. They are honor guards. They are elevating and bringing to light something that men can forget, but they don't want them to forget. They lift up the 
the ultimate sacrifice of the unknown person on the field, which if you've ever been in war or battle, it seems like the biggest waste of life that men are fighting and this person dies, that person dies, or a thousand, the left hand, or 10,000, right? And what happens to that? What does God see? And so they're lifting up that ultimate sacrifice of the person in faith for freedom and lift it up for the whole world to see. Now, behind that, I want you to know that there's so much about the 3rd Regiment and the Honor Guard there. You have to have an impeccable military record. You have to be physically fit incredibly. 30-inch waist. You have to only be so high or so so small. I don't think I made it. It I think I was missed it by an inch. But anyway, so. uh, But there's certain ways of being. And then you're called to study. You're nine months of probation, three years of application. You wear the badge for the uh, two men unknown soldiers of the honor guard for the rest of your life. It is amazing. Some of the things to know in it is takes every shift they have eight hours of preparation of uniform and information. Every shift, every time. Well, I just cleaned my uniform yesterday. Clean it again. Lay it out. Everything is perfect. Discipline is perfect. 21 steps executed perfectly. Turns, changing of the guard, everything has a regiment and a perfection to it, and it's elevated to the most highest of excellence. And in it, not only are the men and women who do it, not only do they do it physically, but inside, they know everything about the uh, cemetery. They know over 300 famous people that are buried there. They, you can ask them any question, they know all of it. They may not be, you may not ask them, but they know it all. And so in that, they've been not only by discipline and by action, but now in their hearts, they're honoring it. It's an honor to them to be a part of the honor guard. They're elevating, they're embodying the very value system of which they portray or hold up in front of the whole world. In this, we're there in a cold morning and they're changing the guard and Pat's father, our boys are huddled together with Pat and I, and he leans down and says, the whole world will come and see this place for the sacredness that happens here. Gosh. Everybody just wants to see how it is, see with their eyes and feel with their hearts. And there is a presence there. And I say that because so much, well, that's the parallel to what happens here. In this group of 50 to 65 employees, we give our hearts to the kingdom like, like it's like with reckless abandon. From those who have been here 37, 40 years to those who have been here three months, they have come and seen and know this is their calling. And you have been here and sitting here and you too have peeked in and know it's your calling. It's our privilege to be here full time. It is your privilege to be here and go take it to where you are, everywhere you live, everywhere you work. And as you do that, you are holding up the presence of God and the movement in the Holy Spirit and a realm that people don't normally see or would cast to the side, but it's elevated and therefore it is a reality that surrounds you, surrounds us. And we come together, each being worn out through the day and coming to culminate. The gathering together of the saints is a holy and powerful thing that God visits and comes. Does he do it individually? Absolutely. But when he comes to us in, in corporate form, it's stunning. Because the exponential moving of your faith, someone else's faith, your love, your forgiveness is drawn to each other and this heavens are open and it's lifted up and the whole world, the whole world will come and see that kind of love. The whole world will see Bob and Dave and Betty and Debbie and all of them coming in and all of you coming in and, and what you carry with you, they just won't be able to figure it out. But, and we're still trying to figure out, but it happens, doesn't it? 
You can step in and your heart just turns and you may be cold on the outside, but inside it's like, could I? Could there be hope for the person who steps in is on the fence? Maybe there's a God. Maybe he actually loves me. Maybe I have purpose in my life. Maybe there's a reason for this. God can turn the worst situation with disregard for all the mistakes and all of your mistakes, and he can bring it into a purpose with him if you keep your eyes on him. And he calls that potential, reaching into a man's soul and pulls it out. God. does it without words. He does it with your words to somebody else. That's just the amazing part. See, God is after the holiness in our lives, not necessarily the happiness. God is after holiness set apart for him, the movement on him, because there's so many times that we're not happy, but that doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, it matters to God. He's so kind, but really, really, that he comes through, that I hold on to him, of course I will have the joy of him. And no matter whether I'm in a prison cell being, being tortured or I'm on the top of the mountain and I'm successful and influential, both the same. No matter what I've stayed, I'm in. Paul says that. In this, I've had a vision that I've spent the better part of a year putting down just that's my issue, but it, I see so many things, and this is the cow on the tree, but I see what happens in the spirit as we lift up what God is doing, then the, the real realm of the kingdom comes here. I'm going to share something with you and show it to you, but if only a portion of it, only a quarter of it you're going to see. Other parts I've seen angels minister to people here and seen in my mind's eye that I know is more real than the ground I stand on is touching people. I can see I can see the journey of generations, and all of you, I've even, I haven't even touched that, that people make their way here in faith, in hope, in love, regardless of circumstances, from generations past to now to generations ahead. There's families here who have been four generations here. They're just amazing. Someday maybe I'll write about that. The word, when it's broken open and how it affects people's lives and goes into your hearts, I haven't even touched that. It's just amazing. But this morning, I want to share with you what happens in worship, what happens in the presence of God. And I hope you can... This stuff happens every Sunday. There are people who come and pray early, pray in their homes early. The Chesokowskis come here early. I come in early. Charles gets up at ridiculously kamikaze time early to pray. He does. Just, it's just crazy. For 50 years, 40 years. And then teams assemble just as you're going to hear this. And so, so if you're left brain, just relax. Just take in the information. Let God process. If you're right brain, get your seatbelt on. Here we go. All right? Let's go, guys. Very early in the morning, still under the cover of darkness, a few saints appear and recess from pre-dawn prayers the last of many in a week-long barrage of intercession. These concluding prayers confirm intuitions and strategic advantages to be used in this morning's summoning of God's army, an army both human and angelic. Slowly, stealthily, each team arrives. The facilities group quietly enters first, checking the building, the grounds, and physical equipment. The tech team, covering sound, lights, 
Recording and broadcasting, they arrive a close second. The worship team, they assemble individually like fighter pilots inspecting their jets. They tune and rev their instrumental engines in fierce power during rehearsal. A mix of strike teams now gather. The ushers, the greeters, the safety team. They will all engage and assist the believers on the field. The pastors have drawn together in strategic prayer. Then a core of all meet on stage for a final briefing, a sacred focus. Plans are now set for his power and his presence. He leads it all. Angel armies have been arriving throughout the night in anticipation of this holy assembly. For these angelic forces, this is a favorite destination. They gather beckoned by a shared faith and hunger of this community, this community of believers towards the one they all love and serve. They fill the sanctuary in a familiar and purposeful rhythm, joining the regular assigned sentinels, healing angels, worshiping angels, angels of communication and calling. They all gather. They are magnificent in presence, and they've come to minister and encourage the beloved. God's own jealous love fills them with grace and with purpose. They assemble and fill the stage, altar, floor, balcony, and doorways. Now as if at the edge of the field of battle, with every angel and willing soul counted, each servant leans forward in courage at the ready. In this quiet moment of anticipation, a profound faith arises. It begins. At the release of the first note, like the unhindered break of dawn over the ocean, spiritual light and sounds of heaven flood the sanctuary, filling it with life, true life. Heads turn and hearts hearken and spirits, souls and bodies responding to this awakening. All that belongs to the Lord is drawn to him. The cares that crush, concerns that weigh, circumstances that blind, indulgences that dull, all recede back into the worthless world from which they crept, unable to resist or comprehend this atmosphere. Sound fills the room, resounding in power and rhythm. Wave upon wave, there is an increasing presence, knowing and calling. With precision, the engineers capture and open the encounter to countless people through the airways. Many believers participating in response online are drawn together, unified beyond time and distance. A symphony of audio and light, camera and lens is fluid in motion and spiritual flow. Uncontested and uncontainable, this communication spreads its reach like a raging river overflowing its banks, flooding, filling, and stretching out to lives willing to receive. The worship leader and Holy Spirit sense and navigate the strategies anticipated and shared in prayer as they become a reality. Their cooperation is a harmony of heart and will and a beautiful execution of spirit. Worship, whether softly emerging or an explosive launch, leads and encourages the congregation into the arms of the Father in the embrace of the Spirit. Every movement drawing them closer together as it had always been intended. Angel armies aligned in regimental glory move forward in stunning power. Through the crowd of the beloved they move, crushing the enemy without mercy. Holiness, their residue. This holiness founded in pure love crescendos into a beautiful revealing of the table of the Lord. Communion, sacred in its simplicity, is always a surprise in its depth of intimacy and wonder. 
Now word and melody crash into the hearts of the people as kingdom revelation explodes, releasing them from their bonds, freeing them to a sweet embrace. Faith and grace flow like streams of spirit and life. As worship continues in rhythm and beat, an angelic drumline forms, and with every advancing choreographed step, they fiercely free souls and expel demons. The membrane between heaven and earth grows thin from the desires of the beloved and their creator. The force of righteousness declares war on all that compromises, beckoning for a beautiful surrender that emerges. This corporate surge forward culminates in the wondrous manifestation of the Son. He rushes forward, larger than life, arms wide in reception and compassion, and the congregation gasps in relief. This spiritual consummation is beyond words in description. All are affected. Each responds individually as heaven and earth, God and man blend almost indistinguishably together in sanctuary. Peace in its completeness envelops the people. Strength and hope remain as the word is opened and shared. The spirit resting on mind soundly brings forth understanding and vision. Renewed possibilities come alive and anticipated opportunities are imagined in the ways of God and the circumstances of men. A fresh commissioning lands on the people sustaining their faith and commending them to their calling to love unconditionally. As man and angels recess from this holy moment and men return to their everyday lives, his fire is divided among them for the week ahead. There is so much to be done so much life, abundant life to be lived. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is now. His kingdom is in us. Just taking a moment for the, the reality of his kingdom. to fill you. If you're here today and you don't know that this kingdom exists, well, you are not here by accident. You're here by God's hand. And if you know it exists, then I only encourage you to live in that place. Amen? Since we have an atmosphere, just a couple things. So angelic forces, I just want to call out a couple people. Marcia Stauffer, the healing angels that surround you are phenomenal. They are. <laughs> and they will do your, what you speak. I would say do your bidding, but as you align with God, it's just amazing. And you're just one of those who carries healing. And um, at the risk, to call it out. Richie Seltzer, your, your gift to bring people, evangelize, is not your only tool bag. You have a gift to bring the kingdom and speak and preach in that realm. And you can speak and preach faith in God 
you can speak and preach redemption. So I don't know if it's a season. Maybe you have done it, but I've heard the evangelistic side of you, but there is so much more that you're able to step into with authority and the articulation of the, to rightly divide the word. I pray that is, is that too weird for you, Richie? But it is mighty and powerful and I long, I'm so excited for that season with you. Derek Rhodes, who's probably watching online, maybe caught the first service. You are a man of God and the generations of articulation reside in you, but the authority and the expansion of the kingdom through you as you give yourself to God is way larger than you think. And that you may think you're an entrepreneur, which you are, and a man of finances, which you are, but so much more than that, you have the anointing of generations on your life. And I just want to call that out and speak it out. Lastly, Marcus Steigerd, I think that you have a gift for the churches that are latent, are held or suppressed into quietness. I could say the traditional church, but it's a gift you have to bring them alive. I know that God isn't done with you yet. So, And I, I don't know why you're... Where, I mean, <laughs> I love you here, but don't feel like you're stalled. It's just waiting for the hunger because he's not going to forget the traditional church and you're a catalyst for them. Okay? And it's not perfect saying it, it's doing it that you're so good at. So, so many of you others. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap. That is good. If you could permit me 16 minutes, would that be all right? And send the word back to the nursery because we just got a little late start here. Three things I have, I believe there's so many things that the Holy Spirit does and I'm so glad we're doing a series on it because there's just no way you could pack it into one service and one teaching. Today, three things. God reveals, the Holy Spirit reveals. Every time he comes, he reveals what has always been there but you can't see. The second thing he does is he comes in power and touches, you could say he moves in power, but somewhere I can't give the word, pass the word, he touches us in power. And number three, he leads us. He leads us. It says he'll guide us and lead us, but he leads us to the places that we're not always agreeing about. And we'll talk about that in just about 15 minutes. Is that okay? I can't hear you. Say yes. So, all right. I know it's the middle of the thing. Okay. He reveals. I love 2 Kings chapter 6. It's verse 13 and 14. 14 and 16. We know the story about Elisha, and it's the story about where the king of Syria is so mad at the man of God, he's trying to arrest him. Does not mean this story? And so he sends all these armies around, and his servant beside him is Gehazi. And Gehazi sees all the armies coming to come and crush Elijah. And Elijah just says, he kind of says, John Lee's paraphrase, don't worry about it, Gehazi, we got this. We got this. We're going to be killed, okay, destroyed. So do you ever see armies surround you? I mean, I guess we really haven't seen armies surround us. But if you can imagine the night you were like, attacked in that spirit and you can't barely talk except say the name of Jesus. That's the kind of where Gehazi is, right? And then Elijah says, God, open his eyes is what it says there. And he opens up and he sees the chariots of God. He sees how outnumbered God is compared to the 
God is outnumbering the other forces that seem so real to Gehazi. Now, I'm not getting choked up about chariots because I don't really care about them. I'm getting choked up about like how God shows himself mightily when we call his name and he reveals how powerful, how absolutely powerful he is. That love rules and trumps over fear. Doesn't that amazing? That faith rules and trumps over doubt. And we do have doubt in our lives, but God, if you lean into him, he speaks and you just remember all his faithfulness in the weirdest situation where God has broken through in your life. How many know that's true? And you begin to see with your eyes or the heart rather than the eyes of your body. Isn't that great? So the revealing there is just stunning. And I just love that part that haven't you ever have God answer you and all of a sudden it shifts your paradigm. You see things every, all differently. When, power, when God's power touches, God's presence comes upon you. He reveals his kingdom. Even this morning, through what I just showed you, there's a revealing. You know something that's more than the place you're sitting, the material around you. Thomas is one of those, and if you go to Matthew, no, if you go to John chapter 14. I'm sorry, I'm using my Bible, which is, I love. You guys mark up your Bibles? It's hard to, I mean, because I always put highlighter on my phone screen, but then I have to wipe it off, and I'm just kidding, so never mind, you got that, so. <laughs> Here's the story of Jesus speaking to him about the people, let not your heart be troubled, speaking to his disciples, you believe in God, believe also in me. Then he goes on to speak about it, prepare a place for you in the mansions. Then he says in verse four, for where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas, who's the left brain person here, and Thomas gets always a bad rap, but he's the one that says, unless I see his hands and his feet, he's a literal guy, isn't he? Which I like about Thomas is that he is literal, and God doesn't go like, Thomas, I think you failed. You gotta go home. He doesn't do that. He just meets Thomas right where he is. Touch my hands and touch my feet. He says, Thomas, you know. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life is what it says. So he's bringing Mr. Literal, like, because Thomas is like the roadmap guy. Look, I've been to Nazareth. We go there regularly. We go to Capernaum. I know the road. You go down to the left, turn right, and go down about two miles out, and there you go. Or he knows the way to Jerusalem. He knows the map. You know what I mean? Because he's checking with me here. Come on. And he's like, I don't know the way, because he's thinking in the physical. But, God, but Jesus is calling him into the metaphorical. Like, it's the way you live. It's the kingdom. That one you do know. You've watched me forgive. You've watched me touch. You've watched me heal. You've watched me set aside circumstances in order to reach into a man's heart and touch their lives. That's what I'm looking at. I've shown you the way of love. I've shown you the way of faith. I've shown you the way of, of hope. I've shown you the way of forgiveness. I've shown you all these things. And so he's bringing to light. Come on, Thomas, see that life. And that's the one you're going to walk. And you know this. He's, he's caught more confident in them than they are in themselves. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't reject their questions. He just uses it to bring, to them their, bring them to their strength. Man, how wonderful, Thomas. Both these stories are revealing of what's really there that's always been there, but they're not seeing. And all of a sudden, now we see. Come on. Agreed? The second thing that God does is touches in power. Come on, Acts 1, Jesus is speaking 1-8. This is an Acts. He's saying, look, go to Jerusalem, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That is a powerful word. That word power is dunamis, but it means so much more than that. Can you explain? I can't explain it. I can't say, I wish you, I could. But it's more, it's the presence, the power, the can do, the absolute 
authority of God, but it touches our lives. It shifts us from the temple into like, now I can. Now I see. I'm working with you, God. The Holy Spirit is moving through me. I'm affected. I'm changed. I'm rearranged inside to see and think differently. And not, and not only that, but, but to to release myself differently in love, in faith, in forgiveness. All of a sudden, I have that capability where I didn't have. I have that peace where I didn't have before. That power of God comes. To, don't you know? To, am I, are you catching this with me? How powerful this is and how powerful power is. There you go. I'm using the word to explain it. But it's just amazing. Jesus is talking about it. Paul speaks about it. He said, I didn't come to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, 4. He says, I didn't come to you with men, human men, words, pervasive words of human men's wisdom, human wisdom, but I came to you in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. Man, what are you laughing about? <laughs> okay, so it's just that he knew it, that Paul was this wretched over whip back kind of, but when he got into a room, his words were like, boom, like, oh my gosh, like he just carried something. It's just like when we embody who God is eternally, eternal things come out of us just by our motions and actions and even our words. Like Francis Assisi, if necessary, use words, but he weighs in on those words, doesn't he? I love the story about it. Uh, yep, let's go there. Ezekiel 37. This is a story about Ezekiel. Oh, yeah, John, it's Ezekiel. No, Ezekiel could be Fred or Bob or Nick or Susie or Debbie. It doesn't matter. They didn't know they're going to be in the Bible, right? They're just people. <laughs> nope, it's Ezekiel. No, it's just he's a person. And I love his response because it's just like our response. And this is where we know this story. He's in the Valley of Dry Bones or whatever it's, and God speaks to him. And he says, but in verse 37, no. Chapter 37, the first verse. The hand of God is upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Here we go. Now we're in the spirit, so we're in a different realm. We're seeing things that we don't see that are there, but now we're seeing them. But they've been there all along, right? And he tells them, of course, son of man, can these dry bones live? Like any intelligent person was like, you're looking at it like this is a pitiful place, okay? My imagination is the driest of deserts, and there's bones everywhere. It's got to be the most depressing place. Like, I am in Halloween forever right here. This is bad, okay? It's just like oppressive. It's like, it's just dry. Even thinking about it makes me, makes me thirsty. It's dry physically. It's dry spiritually. It's dead on top of deadness, Okay? And he says, can these drive on live? And he says, I'm sure. And he's in the presence of God. So like, and the spirit of God is like, oh, only you know God. He says, all right, prophesy. This is the beautiful cooperation of men and God and the Holy Spirit. And he, I got nothing to lose. Let's prophesy. But it's so amazing when God speaks a word, it carries with it the ability to do it, doesn't it? Ah. Man, when God speaks a word to us, it carries, it's not just a, a logos word, but a kairos word. It speaks to our hearts. It's for us. God is in speaking and persuading us to him and inviting us to join him in this speaking and believing of it. And when it does, it happens. It just happens. Can they live? Yeah. They rattle together. It puts the sinew and flesh on them. And then he says, can they live? <laughs> We're batting a thousand right now. Why not? I'm just thinking, but he just... 
he breathes, he calls from the four winds. What a magnificent word that fills him in the spirit. And it happens. This is power to make the driest bones. Why is this story in the Bible so that we understand in a situation where it's completely dead and God speaks to us that we believe him more than the situation we're in? That's what it's talking about. This is here to tell us to do it and to remember that. Not assuming you have to cooperate with God. It has to be his word, but he'll ask you, what do you think about this, Marcy? What do you think about this, Brian? What do you think about this, Mighty? What, uh, I don't know. Well, let's think about this. What about that? Now, when he says it to you, it fills your heart. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. And it gives you that faith. It just takes God to love God, doesn't it? It takes the Holy Spirit. Gosh, and you just living your life, eating your breakfast cereal. Come on, folks. Let's go. That adventure in front of you is amazing. He, if he can do this in the driest dead bone place, he can do it in your work at a cubicle. Anywhere, okay? So he does it. So the power of God does go into operation. That's, not, that's the story right there. I mean, it transfers people like Abraham as a old, decrepit 99-year-old who's been trying to do things on his own, but he can't get this word that the, my descendants will be like the stars in the sky, and God comes to him again, and still, even what he did with, with Ishmael still has the power to create a whole nation, and God still visits that, but that's not my choice, and when you align yourself, then it happens. It takes an old man who loves family and can see a nation in that. And transfer that old, decrepit, not, no possibility to believe God. And in Isaac, he saw it all, didn't he? Gosh. He changed Moses on the backside of a desert on a, on a mountain where he's 80 years old and dried up and watching sheep and thinks he's a loser of the century. And that, that he's tried to do things on his own, killed somebody, murdered somebody. He's, but that deliverer part, and he meets a burning bush and it changes him into a deliverer, doesn't it? For real. With God, that power of God transforms the heart. And then he stands at the Red Sea and he lifts his staff. Oh, come on. He's just a man. He lifts his staff and the whole sea spreads. It's just crazy what goes into a man who believes God when he speaks from the power to transform him. He becomes the very delivery he's always wanted to be. And he begins the very hand of God in that space to deliver. And then they don't see Moses. They see God who's amazing. But they honor Moses, of course. This is stuff we apply to ourselves every day. He transforms David from a shepherd to a king, from a person who has so many faults to a person in the power of God, can't let go of who God is. Gosh. And believes it for himself in himself. Isn't that amazing? Transforms Gideon, who's, what's he doing? He's throwing the chaff up. And he, you know, this is just the funniest thing. He's full of fear for what the Philistines, and then if you understand the Philistines were these fleshy, powerful, they're the jocks. Not that if you're a jock at your high school, it's bad. But they're the big, like, they're just all about the flesh and power. And it's the King of Thrones, whatever that show is. What's it called? What's it called? Game of Thrones. It's a Game of Thrones people. They're all big and amazing and gorgeous and flying, and they're just having their way. And he's like in the back, he's terrified, but he's throwing up the weed and the, the chaff is blowing and he's looking around. I say, there, are they there? But what's amazing is he still does it. Even though he's afraid, he still can't stop doing what he needs to do. And God looks on that and says, I can work with that. 
We can get the fear out and he'll be doing stuff that'll be amazing. That's what's so crazy. These guys kept doing what God wanted. They kept leaning into it, but they were terrified. Gideon was like this fearful person in mighty amount of valor. What? What? I am the least. He argues with them. I'm, a, I'm nothing. I am, what are you doing here? But they, God sees in him that he won't stop. Even when he's terrified in the middle of fear, he still does. He still wants the harvest. Oh man, that is just stunning. He changed Jacob, who cheats and lies, but has the mark of God on him. He changes him into the father of Joseph, who saves a nation of Egypt and speaks to generate, becomes like a Christ-like figure for generations and generations through the past, into the present, into the future. God, he uses our lives, doesn't he? And you think you're disqualified because you've made some bad decisions in your life? Come on. I mean, come on. Come on. God never looks at that. I have to quit. Stand up. Please. Please. <laughs> oh. The other thing is he leads us. It says in, in, I just have to say this. It says in John 16, 13, he said he will teach you and guide you in all ways. But right before that, in the chapter before that, he says the helper will come and he does he will, will you convict men of me. He will fill. He'll, he'll witness of me. Then he goes on to actually in the first part of chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, even, and I'm paraphrasing, even when men will kill you. Oh my gosh. He's saying this to disciples, you're going to be killed. Actually, he says. And what, John, what are you talking about? Because God leads us in the situations, the circumstances that you're in are for a great reveal. One, to reveal God in you, who he is in you and then to reveal you. Does that make sense? But in that, in the revealing of who you are, God uses you. Not only do you get blessed, but the people see God through you, a weakened vessel. Isn't that amazing? You wouldn't see David unless there was a Goliath. Thank you, Chris Valton, who said this word recently. I just loved it. So I'll give him the byline. There wouldn't be a Moses unless there was a Red Sea, right? Come on. There wouldn't be a Rahab unless she believed. How dare she believe? She was such a wretched mess and so undependable. But she had a moment of brilliance and actually believed God. What was always there, what was ruined and cast down to the ground, and she was a harlot, she just trusted God and believed him. And he resurrected redeemed, redeemed her life. Man, come on. He'll lead you in the circumstances to bring you out. Quit fighting them. Embrace them. Lean into the Holy Spirit and say, God, our word this year is not how are you going to do this. How are you going to do it? I'm fascinated. I don't know, but I do know you will. And I want to be on the you will part. We got to close. Father, thank you. Thank you for showing us, revealing to us. Thank you for the power, the sheer power in your word, in your presence. This goes beyond words. Thank you for leading us into paths of righteousness in the midst of the worst circumstances. 
we get to do this with you. We get to. This week, I pray, as the days unfold and we talk about you, Holy Spirit, that we'll see your world much more than we see the world we're in. More than the physical, relational, but we see the world, the supernatural power of you moving among us, the rule of you and your love in men's hearts, in our hearts. We pray for your grace. Come on, stretch your hand out. Be strengthened to the person beside you. Be strengthened. Let your mind's eye see who God is. Give yourself to him. Everything. Everything is in this. Every bit of life. Bless you. Look at the things that you cannot see. Look at the things that are unseen. The things that have seen are temporal. The things that, we see, that are not seen are eternal. So be it. In Jesus' name, can you say amen?